Good. Do I need to play some music? the other way. Has <laughs> Indy done the pillow talk? I guess people worry about when apps are bought out um, and the impact that might have on the customers and the accountants. There's a lot of fear from accountants when they see you know, an app being bought that they've kind of bought into, they've invested a lot of time and effort into it. I don't like to say exit, we say an event, yeah? So it's an event. You realise that you've got like the history of all of the zero cons and then all the unleashed t-shirts next to each other. Like I've got like a gen I've got seven years of unleashed t-shirts and I've got the equivalent seven years of zero cons. And because I'm such a global tart, I've got different ones, you know, zero con Australia, New Zealand, the UK, bottles, you know, bags. I love it when Kiwis say back. Hello and welcome to episode two of Digitals in the Cruel World, the go-to place for all uh, cloud-based news um, it, it, for the accounting industry in the UK. So really looking forward to today's episode, which is about app acquisitions and their impact. Um, but first, let's see how our um, guests are today. First, John, uh, co-hosting today, how are you feeling? Yeah, really good. Uh, very excited about this, uh, this podcast because I'm super excited about our guest. Cool. Uh, Indy, our excellent producer, um, how are you today? Yeah, good spirits today. I'm enjoying the fact that it's a little bit of calm after a holiday away, and now I'm just sort of on top of the workload, so I'm happy. Cool, you recovered from that influx that we always get when we come back. Exactly that, yeah. yeah. And then we've got our brilliant guest speaker um, this week, which is uh, Lisa Miles-Hill, or LMH, I've been told, is the way that um, people uh, call you. So how are you today, Lisa? Oh, I'm feeling great. I'm, I'm back in the uh, countryside near Bristol and contemplating my son uh, driving the ride-on mower down to the next door farm to pick up eggs and whether that should be allowed. Is this okay? to let him at 15 out on the road. Oh, 15, okay. He's 15, treating the ride-on mower as his first sort of all-terrain vehicle. Uh, is this okay or not? But at the moment, we're doing great. Cool. I mean, legally, I'm not sure how to advise on that. Um, so I think we'll probably move on and jump straight into app news. Right, so in app news this week, um, I think we've got quite a few interesting topics, kind of linked. Um, I think, John, you've got something, haven't you, that you want to bring to the table first? Uh, yeah, so uh, last few weeks, uh, we've seen that Xero have announced uh, the Analytics Plus module. Uh, this is kind of an iteration of a number of features that have been sitting in, in Xero. Uh, I think probably a little bit underused, hence the reason why they're kind of pushing out this, this Plus version. Um, and it's free now uh, up until about the end of Jan, I think it is next year. Uh, effectively, it takes uh, a mixture of the, the business snapshot, which I think, again, like I said, was very much underused, and the, the short-term cash flow um, uh, tools that they had in there, which uh, certainly, if you compare it to other things on the market, was very limited in terms of what you could do with it. Um, and they've just added, really, a whole host of new features. So there's the ability to now project cash flows over, over periods of 70, 30, 60 and 90 days, which, um, like I say, you weren't able to do before. And there's a little bit more um, uh, flexibility in the product in terms of you're now allowed to sort of set some predictions and change things. Again, the pre previous sort of cash flow product that they had within within zero itself was very much a fixed product. You couldn't really do anything in terms of changing assumptions. Uh, so, you know, interesting products. It's great that it's free, of course. You know, that's the incentive to kind of use it for, for now and, and hopefully zero will 
you to be tied into to paying for it once it goes properly live uh, next year. Uh, but definitely worth bearing in mind that this is a this is an area where there's a number of good apps in this in the space. Um, and you know, some accountants love these kind of short-term cash flow forecasting apps. Others, like myself, I'm not entirely sure there's a huge amount of value to them unless you've got clients in distress or with big problems that need to be solved. Uh, but you know, I don't know. What do you think, Ryan, on that? Yeah, well, I think it's definitely an interesting play. It, it, it follows, I guess, we could have predicted that this would have been a paid-for um, add-on at some point from zero because that's in their entire ploy. They, they come up with something new and then they charge you to use that area. So probably not that um, that unexpected. And I think it's £5 a month from 1st of February. Is that right? Um, Seems to be, yeah. Cool. Um, and I did see that you, if you sign up for it now, you have to opt out. Otherwise, they'll just start charging you. So my advice is probably check it out, get your clients to check it out. Um, but put a reminder, January, busy season, perfect timing from zero here that everyone's going to forget to do it. Um, but you just want to get a reminder to maybe opt out um, if you don't want to use it. The thing I would say is be interesting to get insights from the likes of Fluidly and Float on this because from dabbling with it, it's definitely eating into a small area of their, their market share. Um, and now they've, I think it's they've bumped it to 90 days, haven't they, with the, the cash flow yeah. side. Um, that's really the main area that businesses are going to want to look from a predictive aspect. Um, from what I've seen, Jira brought in AI into um, the predictive part and how how good that's going to be i think will make or break um if people use this or not because from my working on on cash flow the, specifically the cash flow section it's all about how good it is if it can't predict what you're going to do people just kind of leave it um but i'd say something that i have picked up uh, unsurprisingly at around the same time is that quickbooks have uh, reacted and um and done some work on their smart insights in in quickbooks online advanced um so similarly, um, basically working on, uh, I guess, KPIs, what they're putting forward um, from a dashboard perspective for the end user, um, looking a little bit, um, I guess it's more on the, the balance sheet side rather than the, the, the cash flow side, um, KPI trends and highlighting business performance. But you can tell that whenever one of them releases something, the other one has to react. And there seems to be um, QuickBooks uh, reaction on this something they already had, enhancing it, making it better. Um, definitely something to look out for. Um, but uh, something that they released at the same time, which actually I think is more powerful, but got less, um, I guess, less market is the is approval workflows in bills that's coming to QuickBooks Online Advanced. Now that is huge. That is something that um, any businesses that are scaling up need to bring in. Um, so having that being brought in by the end of August, um, for <clears throat> for new bills going through an approval permission uh, aspect in QuickBooks Online, I think will drive a lot of consideration into that app. Definitely, definitely a differentiator at the moment. Not something that Zero has, and you have to bring an app in. Um, and you, I guess, there's always that consideration: do I do I want to employ a different app for a, for a different area? Um, so yeah, I don't know what if anyone's got a perspective on that, but I think that's a, that's something that could that Zero may have to react to. Yeah, I think you know approval workflows is an interesting space, isn't it? You know, I think for for certain types of business, for certain sectors, you know, thinking things like not-for-profit charities and things, that's an area where it works really well. Um, you know, I know that other other firms, you know, use 
apps like Approval Max as part of their bookkeeping process to make sure they're only dealing with and processing invoices that have been fully properly approved by, by their clients. Um, and, and Xero does have a relatively rudimentary approval process, but I don't think it's, it's massively used. Um, so it's an interesting, it is an interesting move by QuickBooks. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how you know, the likes of approval max reacts to that and like you say, whether whether zero change. Um, you know, the great thing about something like approval max though is it's massive flexibility. Um, but but as ever, you know, with the app ecosystem, what we now need to see is more, not just flexibility, but more integration. You know, we need more integration across products. You know, we've 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 got good stuff on on things like receipt bank and auto entry, but we want to see that feeding into like what I call the vertical app, you know, things like uh, Unleashed and Simpro and things like that, where you know that whole process of purchase ledger is is sort of extracted and removed from the finance system until the very last moment. Yeah, I completely agree with you, John, and I think actually that, that's probably something we need to do as a deep dive at some point. Um, but talking about apps, um, I know there's been changes in the uh, app marketplace uh, at Zero. Indy, have you got some insights on this? Yeah, only that, you know, they've launched this app store for small businesses and accountants. And from uh, the apps perspective, obviously, it's meant to deliver a better insight dashboard for us, looking at the reviews and being able to edit the reviews a bit more. Um, and I'd say that it's a work in progress is probably what we from from one of the perspectives that we could take as like the app side. Um, and maybe that's just because Zero are trying to take on too many things at, at once and be, you know, um, everything to everyone. Obviously, the ecosystem has been working for a long time, and I think they realize now that they've got to do something that um, exactly to that point allows the apps to be a bit more involved and try to build what is a, a better kind of um, platform for them. Um, Lisa, I don't know in your experience how you found it as well, because I know that from from our perspective, we're still we're new to the app the app ecosystem of Zero in um, Arx, who I work for. But I think that you know a lot of um, apps. You have a different insight into the App Store's release. Yeah, I think the, the App Store is crucial. I think as more and more apps you know come to the market, I think the curation of um, the excellent from the, you know, the, the, the ones that are sort of new and, you know, worth maybe a little, a, look, a bit of a look, but a higher risk. I think small businesses need some confidence that there's some independent third party out there that's um, adding their weight or their insight into evaluating those apps. Um, I think the key word for me, though, is independent. And I think that something I'd be really watching out for is zero goes deeper into the space and starts driving revenue off, you know, referrals and um, positioning of certain apps against one another. I suppose I would be wondering, will the question of their independence uh, come up even more? So if you're looking for an app and there's five apps um, that are well integrated with zero and that sort of do the same thing, um, how am I going to know that I'm not just being uh, sort of directed towards one that's got a, a, a better revenue sort of um, attribution aspect um, yeah. back to zero versus the one that might be the best one for me. That's all I'd say. Yeah, I definitely see that. I mean, so you've got like the staff picks um, area now in the app store, which is, you know, them portraying the, the, the I guess, their apps of choice. Um, and I think they now put some, I guess, AI, as they call it, into... Um, you know, drive industry specific 
uh, apps or or profile specific apps to those that are looking. But I agree with you, Lisa. I think that that questions the independent side of it, which is exactly what the, the app store is about. I think one positive that I took from it is the way they're looking at reviews and filtering out, I guess, those that are not users of that app to prompt, you know, you know make it so it's actually more reflective of the people that are either benefiting, benefiting from that app or struggling to implement it. That I definitely see as a positive. But I think, as you mentioned, we have to kind of see in the on. This is early on. Um, over time, this may become what, what you know, far advanced in the app marketplace. Definitely um, something I didn't expect and a lot of controversy there. Um, and I know we could talk about this all day. John, I don't know if you've got anything you want to bring to it. Well, I, I think, um, you know, the marketplace that pre-existed before the App Store came around, you know, obviously from a developer point of view, there was already a, you know, a set of hurdles that you had to get over to, to get on the, the marketplace and be an official uh, app on that space. So from a from an app store point of view, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what has changed in that respect, if anything. Um, I suppose the key thing that probably caused a little bit of consternation amongst other accountants is that, you know, Xero have for a while been pushing, you know, other apps uh, in the marketplace and, you know, what's now the app store out to clients within the dashboard, but they now have, have promised to kind of take a, a slightly more proactive approach in terms of a little bit more of a direct marketing approach to their customers, which of course are our customers as well. Um, and, and to make those suggestions, you know, in particular areas, whether that's, you know, something basic like OCR or something more fundamental like one of the uh, sector specialist apps. And, you know, I think some accountants are a little bit concerned about that in terms of does that take away, you know, the expertise and the knowledge and the experience that we've developed, you know, through, you know, operating within the marketplace ourselves. Um, and, and maybe give, um, you know, give clients suboptimal solutions to the problems that they might have. Yeah, I think in that app advisory space we sit, John, um, it's just definitely a, um, a polarizing topic. Um, and yeah, it, the other thing, like, because they're, they're, they're looking to bring that pricing model in, so you can, you can buy the app through the, um, through the Zero App Store directly, but there's lots of, you know, um, kind of partner deals out there that your accountant may have signed up for that you, you may not get if you go directly through the app store. So there's a lot of unknowns. And I think we're going to have to unravel this over time. Um, but, you know, we, we could talk about this today. So I kind of want to move this on slightly and we can come back to the app store as a, a, a different time. Um, something that, that was released um, similarly about maybe a little bit later is uh, they zero have changed the bank reconciliation again. Um, for the positive, I'd say, um, it's an odd area because they're, they're bringing in the automation, a little bit of AI um, to learn what you've been doing previously to kind of, um, you know, automate or prompt well, what to do going forward. But I know we were talking about this, John. What they've released is stuff that I remember them talking about two to three years ago at ZeroCon that we felt was just around the corner and never got here. Um, and what's actually come out, which is auto at the moment, automation of bank transfers, doesn't feel like a, a huge bit of code. I could be wrong, but it feels like something that should have like come across out ages ago. What do you think on this, John? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if I was being sceptical, I would say, you know, this is sort of indicative of the of the promises that sometimes we see at ZeroCon, which take a long time to roll out in the, in the product. And, you know, there's a lot of noise made about product features, product upgrades, and I'm not trying to knock Zero. We know that there's there's a hell of a lot of development going on in the product and lots of new things being, being rolled out. But, you know, <clears throat> bank reconciliation, 
improvements were announced two or three years ago at ZeroCon um, and then and then seem to have finally made their way into the product. And I don't think all of the things that were announced have made the way. Having said that, the positive is it you know, like you, I think it's a good thing. It's, it does improve the process. And I suppose, you know, we previously touched on very briefly about e-commerce and how that's become such a massive thing uh, over the last 18 months or so. And one of the massive challenges that you have around e-commerce is uh, the bookkeeping side of, of managing those transactions. And one of those, one of those is inevitably that you'll have a payment solution like Stripe or PayPal or whatever it might be that will then pay out into your main, your main bank account. And those are effectively bank transfers that if there's an extra layer of automation around that, that, that certainly helps in terms of taking that administrative burden away from businesses. Um, so in general, positive. Uh, but we'd just like to see Zero really put their money where their mouth was. If, if they're making announcements around product, we want to see it come in you know, quickly uh, and not not be not be underwhelmed like we have sometimes in the past. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, I mean, a lot of this uh, has come out recently and probably helps um, for their side justify it with the next area, which we're going to discuss. I'm going to throw that grenade across to you, John, uh, which is uh, the zero price increases. So what's going on there? Uh, yeah, so we've we've had a had a series of announcements around uh, price increases. So for accountants who've got access to bureau licenses, those are those are increasing, and then the general products uh, uh, price is, is going up, and that's just not, not just in the UK, but it's uh, internationally as well. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't think this is a bad thing. You know, I think it's kind of inevitable with with you know a SaaS product. Uh, we see this across the piece. You know, whether it's Things like Office 365, or whether it's with QBO and others, um, and and it's just a natural part of the maturity of the product. Um, you, if you compare the price of a zero standard license to some of the old desktop licenses that we would maybe have with something like a Sage 50, for example, it's still very competitive. Uh, it's still not a significant outlay, um, and for the kind of product that you're getting, it's well worth it. Uh, will some people be a bit pissed off about it? Yeah, probably, but there's always somebody who's going to moan about a price increase. Um, but I think this is a good, it's a good sign. Yeah, I mean, when I looked at it, the only one that stood out to me as feeling high was the starter license, and that was like a twenty percent increase. And I, I think um, from I guess Zero's perspective, they could potentially justify that because I know going back to when we during COVID, they increased the number of transactions um, that, that could be included in the starter license. So they've probably got a bigger or broader range of clients that sit in that, and maybe that's how they're justifying the, the increase. Um, but that was the only bit to me that kind of that seemed high. But um, indeed, Lisa, do you feel that this would have any impact on apps at all and adoption from people? Like, would that stop or make people question the adoption of zero and then the adoption of apps? Or do you think this is just part of the normal course of business? No, I mean, I feel quite strongly that um, if you continue to invest in product development in the way that most apps do, continuously investing, then in a way it makes you uh, really commercially focused to that that those things you're investing in and that you're building in your great um, product engine rooms are going to deliver value to your client base and therefore are going to substantially support the price increase because you're delivering more value. I remember a couple of years uh, go back down in Australia, there was a bit of a backlash about some price increases going on with one of our competitors. I think it might have been Sin7 that was pushing around some big price increases. 
And I, I think we actually spoke out in support of it and said all apps, if you're adding value, should be looking at annually reviewing the pricing of, um, of all of your subscriptions. Uh, because if you're not, then the, the bigger question is, are you not adding any extra value? So the customer that signed up on the 1st of January uh, and the customer that signs up on the 31st of December, is their product experience exactly the same? Well, if it is, then the price probably doesn't warrant an increase. But I would hope most you know, contemporary SaaS um, you know, apps we're talking about, the best in class ones, are investing significant, significant amounts of pushing that value indicator to the right. And therefore, I think, you know, keep it commercially sound and um, make sure your pricing reflects that. Yeah. yeah. And I would, I would say that, that we've had such huge changes in the market um, for the last 18 months. Uh, you know, there, there have been things that have been dropped on a whim that we've had to all adapt to in a software um, capacity. So, you know, we've, we've all got to cover the costs some way and at some point, and it, it would make sense if, you know, if this was a software that had not moved on in any way, shape or form, then we could, as Lisa said, you would, you would question it, but zero is a, an evolving beast actually, and has had to do that against the backdrop of MTD, IR35, some very big changes with, you know, furlough and the legislation. So I, I can kind of get behind the fact that actually, if you want something that's going to keep you moving with the times, then you have to pay the price for it. Yeah, yeah. I think, sorry, John. I, I was just going to say as well, I think, you know, some of the, some of the accountants in the market, you know, do take a fairly sort of skeptical view around you know apps you know including zero you know when they're looking at things like you know the, the accounts that are on public record and showing that they're making they're still making big losses because they are investing the cash that they have and the capital that they're getting on the market and so you know this is just part of the natural cycle for for you know business that's you know over 10 years old now getting getting to maturity it needs to demonstrate that it can you know have a product that does make money because you know everybody needs a business that makes money you know you can't continually invest and invest and invest um and so you know i, I hope from from an accounts point of view an accounting point of view that you know maybe those some of those accountants out there who are skeptical about zero and just think it's a bit of a flash in the pan that you know now that it is starting to turn profits and these price price increases will support that that you know they're willing to now get on board and and you know get get in bed with them because you know for everyone that's done this you know it's it's transformative for our businesses. Yeah, I think um, you've got the others that, that will look at it and go, well, you know, QuickBooks is now looking more value for money, same as Sage Business Cloud, um, and that argument will still still be there. Um, but as you've said, if you don't increase your prices, then you, your value is being eroded by inflation anyway. So you need to continue to do that. Um, well, I guess. Thanks all. Thank you very much. That sums up app news for this week. Let's move on to the main topic. If it happens, and if anyone asks you, <laughs> then you go, never occurred. The start just demonstrates how unbelievably boring both Ryan and I are as well. <laughs> Every guest and Nindy have had something interesting to say. I'd like to actually point out that no one's asked me how my week is. It's rude, isn't it? It's rude for me to go, Okay, so on to the next part of the pod, really, which is all about our guest, the amazing Lisa Miles Heal, or LMH as we all like to call her. Um, previously, uh, the goddess of Unleashed and 
international woman of mystery in the art world. Uh, so Lisa, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your, your background, what you used to do at Unleashed and what the hell you're doing now. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, so um, I am formerly the CTO, CPO, COO, uh, or anything but sales and marketing. I think we create an acronym for that. Uh, and, and kind of X, oh, I even think I had a business card that said Managing Director UK. Uh, that, that was great to have when you were traveling through customs in the UK from time to time. Uh, what are you doing here again, uh, LMH? This is the sixth time you've come from New Zealand to the UK this year. Um, so yeah, I, I've been at Unleashed or was on that Unleashed journey for six and a half years. Finished up there in March this year, and um, prior to that, had been involved in various tech businesses. I think the common thread would be southern hemisphere businesses punching above their weight on the global scale. So, New Zealand and sometimes Australia uh, led businesses. Um, back in the early days, I was working with a business based out of Christchurch in New Zealand that had the uh, software that was being used. At, by Royal Mail and particularly Parcel Force for sort of sign on glass uh, for package delivery back in the early, early days when that was a novelty. So uh, common thread for me is taking businesses with some great tech, some great product, potentially operating in much smaller markets, but have got something to offer in the in the global sense and helping them on that journey. Um, the Unleashed journey was a was a big one, six and a half years, but but now I'm now I'm out sort of in the market. Um, <laughs> sounds a bit awful, spreading myself around a little bit more. I've uh, decided that all of that wisdom and experience and the successes and the learnings from some of the failures, I've got a kind of a goal to, instead of move into just one other business and, and kind of go on that journey again, I wanted to see if I could amplify my impact and uh, I kind of spread myself across a few businesses, some really great uh, SaaS products coming up and into the market at an earlier stage of Unleashed and kind of propel them um, faster on that journey. And it doesn't mean that everything's a kind of cookie cutter, rinse and repeat, it's not, but there's certainly some things that have, goodness, I knew some things that I know now, three or four years ago, I'd have made a few less mistakes. So that, that's kind of what I'm doing now. Um, and kind of hanging out between Bristol and uh, wherever in the UK, it's a bit of a where's Wally kind of thing, you know, we're in the UK, will LMH be next week? And as you know, uh, what kind of outfit will she be wearing to try and blend in with the locals? <laughs> I think I got that a bit wrong in Manchester last week, but, uh, but never mind. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, shorts in the middle of Manchester on a fairly drizzly day is pretty brave. So, I, you know, hats off to you. I, I was very impressed when we met up for coffee. So, um, and and what about what about New Zealand? What about home? Are you are the plans to kind of try and get over there, or or will that just fit in with the role that you've got now? Well, I think ideally, I'd I'd prefer the role where I can move back and forth because as much as we all can do this, you know, remotely now, we all can. I'm, I'm probably a bit old school and I really enjoy the face-to-face -face connection. And I, I also think it's about trust and relationship building. Some of the businesses I'm working with now, they, I'm kind of their woman on the ground up here in this market. And I think that when you're a New Zealand or Australian business and it's a big, it's a big step for them to go in market and to take their app and to, and to give it to a local team. So I really want to, uh, you know, front up face-to-face -face in New Zealand, work with those 
great product builders and uh, build some confidence and trust. And, and in a way, they're kind of giving me a piece of their baby and, and hoping that I'm going to represent them well. And I'm, I'm not British, uh, even though I've been up here three and a half years now. And the kids are in um, British schools, so uh, I'm learning. Uh, but it's bridging between the two cultures and, uh, and being a bit of a conduit. I'm lucky that for me, two weeks in an MIQ facility, for those of you who don't know, that's the, that's the way New Zealand uh, keeps COVID out up until very recently. Uh, everybody coming into the country goes into two weeks in a hotel. Uh, some people say to me they'd rather you know chew off their hands than do that. And I go, no, come on now. That's uh, two weeks of uh, eat, sleep, work, mm -hmm. Uh, 10,000 steps around a hotel room. Uh, what more? What more? That's almost like heaven for me. No taxi driving, no, no kid drama. No, it's, it's perfect. So if I can do it, and as long as I can keep on doing it, I'm, I'm going to keep on doing it. And while they keep letting me in, uh, I'll just I'll just ping back and forth between the two countries if I can. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. And we're, we're all totally jealous of that. You, know, you touched on something really important there is that you're working typically with sort of Southern Hemisphere businesses. And so, you know, I think probably Ryan and I probably look at you know Australia, New Zealand, and think, oh, those those sort of territories in terms of the accounting space are very similar to the UK. But tell tell me about what the differences really are in terms of the the feel for those apps trying to break into, say, the UK or the US. Yeah, well, I think um, what is a strength is also a weakness for these um, these software makers in in the Southern Hemisphere. You know, New Zealand is a I'll call it a nation of specialist generalists. Um, New, New Zealand is quite small. It's quite a long way away. And, and there's, a, there's a, a mindset of very independent thinking. I mean, zero came out of New Zealand. It doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, because in New Zealand, there's a sort of a cultural mindset. You know, we call it the number eight fencing wire. You guys may have heard that phrase before. It's kind of like anything can be fixed pretty much in New Zealand with a piece of number eight fencing wire. And maybe that's a kind of a, it's a kind of a throwback to our sort of farming pedigree where, where farming and, and uh, primary industry export was the number one thing in the New Zealand economy. And, you know, cue all of the sheep jokes right about now. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, there's this mindset when you grow up in New Zealand, and I always say to people as well, be warned, it's a feminist culture in New Zealand. I'm going to put it out there. So when young women and, and the men folk, but let's just focus on the young women grow up in New Zealand, you grow up with this idea that you can, you can pretty much do anything with the right mindset, a bit of hard work, and, you know, and the ability to kind of put your hand to the problem that needs solving and solve it, because no one's going to come rescuing you, no one's going to just jump over the border and say, oh, we've got a problem to solve, we've got a solution, we've got an app for you. So, the sort of resilience and the tenacity and the and the problem solving mindset, I think, culturally of that part of the world, then of course naturally bleed, bleeds into the technology and the applications. And uh, so I think you see a lot of great tech coming out of that part of the world. But on the flip side, that strength is a little bit of a weakness, which is that I think that New Zealanders also sometimes forget that what they know in their world is not the way the rest of the world works. And we are so far away from the rest of the world. So to make that leap and take your solution into a, a much larger scale-wise market that can you know, just bl blow everything into you know, 10x of what you were used to, um, there is almost that it's a very it's a, a very long distance to bridge and so great tech great this great everything but understanding the customer or the consumer experience in these different markets is quite hard for New Zealand businesses to access because because you just can't get there 
so I think that you, we've got to find ways for apps that are coming out of the Southern Hemisphere to get into markets safely. And we, we talk about this approach. We used it a lot at, uh, at Unleashed. It's an on-market focus leading to an in-market focus. So you've got your great app. I would suggest the pathway is pretty simple. You've got your great app. You've decided there's a market that you believe you can do well in. Create an in-market, uh, sorry, an on-market team first within your business and, and isolate those people, dare I say it, create a little you know, competitive element and put them over in the corner and say, you are now the UK team, focusing on everything from product, you know, marketing, pricing, all the way through to support. But those people are ring-fenced and they're an on-market focused team. And do that as a precursor to then deciding when the time is right to take uh, take that to your in-market team and land boots on the ground. And I think that's a really key part of that journey. And you know, obviously, you know, you worked at Unleashed, and um, you know that's a that's a uh, an inventory stock management system. You know, are there are there significant hurdles to to break that product? You know, out of you know, New Zealand and Australia and into the UK. I mean, you, know, you talk about a slightly different, you know, uh, culture, but, you know, are the businesses, you know, specifically different between territories? Um, I think there's commonalities and, you know, language would be the obvious one. I think that you're, you're looking for markets where English is the, is the first language. You're looking for markets, I suppose, as well, too, where the governance or the compliance frameworks are similar. Uh, it, it would be harder to take a, a software product out of a market like Australia and New Zealand and move it to a, a market whereby the norms and the, uh, the compliance aspects are, are just greatly different because your product market fit's not going to be right. I think what's also really important, um, not so much from the product point of view, but from the growth point of view is you've got to find a market where culturally your people are going to feel okay operating in that market. And, and because you're going to take people from the mothership, as we call it out to the to the new market, but, but even if you don't, and you hire locally, when that information is passing back, let's say feature enhancements or, or pricing decisions or marketing decisions, if, if what's coming back from the people on the ground if you if you don't have a synergy between the way that they communicate and the cultural fit between the two teams, it ends up getting really isolated. So you've got to, dare I say it, the second biggest concern, apart from your customers, should definitely be, is this a market and an environment where we can employ like-minded folk who, who aren't going to sort of erode our company culture because we, in order to succeed in that market, we've had to hire a bunch of people who don't look anything like what we look like. Now, how are we trying to make that a really important part of our business? but everyone in, in at the sort of uh, the home base is looking over at them going oh they're a bunch of weirdos um why would I want to listen to them you know so you do need that sort of affinity with the people and the culture of the business in the new market you go to you gotta watch out for you know all this all the terminology and and weird things I mean accents aside uh as as you know we we, we have a great time when we go out to the North American markets I've told you this story before but I've never seen such a shocked group of people when I when I stood up once and said I needed to get back home to New Zealand because it was summertime and I had a big deck at home and and you know couldn't understand why everybody looked like they were about to um you know, crawl under the table, uh, you know, so things like that, invariably, you're going to come across. But, um, you know, we do, we do celebrate those differences in a way as well, as long as the differences aren't too great. Um, global expansion is exciting. And, and, uh, and, and it's a, a really energizing thing for the team, you know, to see success on that global stage. It's really affirming, it's really validating. Uh, and getting stuff in the hands of, of bigger markets, 
it's either going to make or break you, isn't it? It's either going to suddenly make you realize that we built it great for the Southern Hemisphere and it, it's got no legs anywhere else, or it's going to make you go, oh my goodness, we actually were onto something here. And now we've got this 10x market and, oh, holy shoot, now we've just got to run as fast as we can to keep up with it or the demand. Okay, cool. So that, that's fascinating. And we'll, we'll, we'll jump into the, the juicy stuff on, on acquisitions. But let me just... Um, let me just set the scene from an accountant's point of view, you know, on the outside, looking into the app ecosystems and, and looking in through what's gone before over the last 10 years or so. Um, you know, and so you know, specifically here in the UK, you know, we, we've seen products like Cashflow, which was probably one of the early pioneers of cloud accounting, you know, probably the main challenger to zero, you know, at the time when it was around acquired by iris and then really become a, a second tier product you know not really developed not kept pace with the market uh, and become a little bit disappointing in terms of you know where, where it's gone to um equally you know we see that intuit who own quickbooks you know their their market strategy seems to be like i'm going to go after an app we'll acquire it we'll bring it in-house it'll get rebadged as qbo or, or, or intuit x um and then it gets shut down to all of the partners in the market um zero you know then have a <laughs> what seems to be a slightly confusing strategy in terms of you know going after various products um you know some some would say if they were being generous that that's to try and open up you know new new marketplaces and new opportunities uh, but they are generally keeping it open and now in in your instance you know with, with your experience with unleashed we've had access come in which is a project that's probably for a lot of people slightly left field in terms of you know it's not particularly well known in the accounting space uh, you know although it is a big product you know it's got a lot of money behind it um, but, but certainly not as well known in the cloud space and certainly not at the SME end of the market um, coming in to buy one of the biggest you know inventory stock management systems that were certainly in in the world that we we like to play in so <clears throat> I suppose a lot of accountants are a little bit cautious about you know app acquisitions in the marketplace because you know we invest a huge amount of time and effort getting to know those apps we obviously sell them onto clients and what we don't want to do is we don't want to sell something that maybe in two or three years time may get shut down if Intuit were to buy it and we're not you know we're not a QuickBooks business uh, but equally you know if if the product takes a deviation away from the course that we expected it to go you know that's also challenging for us in terms of you know we've then got to bring our clients that we might have sold that product to along on that journey with us and move them onto onto potentially a competitor so a big build up there <laughs> and me talking a lot but you know where is it you know we were talking earlier on about you know the fact that you know these products that are coming uh, from from the southern hemisphere wanting to break into into other markets you know clearly they're they're after growth they're after some kind of event whether that's you know maybe floating on a market being being bought or whatever it might be um, but, but how do you kind of reassure um, your accountants that, that, you know, these products that are being sold and, and you know, whether you want to refer specifically to Unleashed or not, um, you know, how that fits into our perception of the marketplace and how that works to kind of keep that product moving in the right direction? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say it's 
it's a really natural and understandable um, sort of fear or concern that the, you know, that, that all the, the great advisors out there, if you if you've invested time in app advisory, forget forget even what it might be implication wise for your clients. Surely there's a sense even in your own self of like, well, I've just become I've just become guru status at a particular app, and now you know it'd be a bit sad if you if you thought you were a um, you know a trade gecko master and now all of a sudden it's like what do I do with that I'm kind of hmm uh it, 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 it must be annoying and painful and, and I certainly I have to say that what happened with trade gecko and uh QBO that that was really quite shocking like really shocking and from an unleashed perspective you know there were clients that we needed to pick up as well uh who were left sort of hanging it, it was really weird yeah. um what I would say, though, is that it really does depend. And, you know, there are no certainties in life, as we all know. Um, what what would I say to, to, to those people looking to say, how do I reduce the risk or the likelihood that I'm going to sort of like, you know, tie your carriage to a horse that's going to end up bolting in a different direction? I mean, that's kind of what you're after. Um, I think look for the signs in those apps that the investment in product is still their primary concern and that and i'm not we just talked earlier about how people have got to make profits you know zero put up their price and they've got to make profits but at the end of the day that i think the best apps out there profitability is important but product focus and product excellence is paramount and if you can see a business that prioritizes that if you can see if you can see an app that says that's actually and i'd i'd probably put customer focus next to that product focus and customer focus i'm a bit biased because you know those were the the main focuses of unleashed and i would argue that and I'll be really interested to hear from anyone on the panel if they've noticed, you know, since the acquisition by Access, if any of that's changed. Because, you know, I keep in close contact with the with the crowded Unleashed, and uh, don't know if it's okay to say, but someone from there was over yesterday here with me and talking about various things. And I don't see any shift in the those really important principles of customer and product focus. But I think the reason you don't see a shift in that is because when Access acquired Unleashed, they knew that that was the business's growth drivers. And so if the business is growing and is successful and you're going to acquire it and you're going to pay a good price for it, you'd be stupid to try and unpick that. You'd be, I mean, that would be ridiculous. Why would you pay a great value for something and then go, right, well, you've said how you're successful, but we've got some different ideas over here. They'd be dumb. But I think those businesses that haven't positioned on or those apps that don't position on growth and customer focus, um, those are the ones that, to a certain degree, are more likely if they do get acquired or there is some kind of exit event, that you'll see something change or shift because they haven't really got clarity about how it is that they see themselves in the market and the value they're delivering. And I think, and, and I hope it doesn't sound too unkind, when I look back on what's happened with um, Trade Gecko and, and maybe the, the Intuit acquisition, I was, even from a competitive analysis point of view, starting to lose a bit of sight about well, where was Trade Gecko positioning themselves? What, what, where were, what were they standing for? What were they investing back into product? What were they saying was their customer value prop? And it was starting to get a bit cloudy. And so in my mind, when you see that starting to happen, and I believe you'll then see other things happening in the, in the way that you might find your clients are experiencing that app, potentially that's the stuff that you need to be mindful of and 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 really kind of take a look at that and and think to yourself well if they were to get acquired then then perhaps that doesn't make that business something that's going to carry on so kind of put your carriage on 
you know, to the horses that those apps that have got really clear value props about what they're trying to do, uh, what their product investment strategy is, because even under an acquisition event, it's highly unlikely that's going to shift, because why would somebody break something that was working that was so strong? And I, and I think that would be, I would really hope anyone listening who is a, an Unleashed customer um, would, would actually see that that has been the case. And I would almost be so bold, and hopefully the, our friends at Access don't hate me for this, is I actually believe we led them in some directions around the way they needed to think about approaching the mid-market, the kinds of things that were important uh, in, in product and investment, in integration land, in open market ecosystem things, in thinking around expansion and loyalty, all of those concepts which I think Unleashed did really well in, uh, we took to that acquisition with um, Access and to a certain degree they were learning from us and they were they were taking some of those learnings into some of their other product sets and you know access has acquired a lot of businesses and you're going to hear more about them I, th I think they really do see themselves as the home of best in class uh mid-market SaaS apps and we might see them acquiring some more so yeah I, does that answer the question I'm, I'm not sure you can guarantee that uh that any app might not be acquired. Uh, what I would say on the glasses half full side of the house, if an app does get acquired and then something awful, maybe like what we would see happening with Trade Gecko happens, on the positive side, that might free up the futures of some really innovative, highly skilled developers and other kind of um, entrepreneurs that we know we all need in our broader ecosystem to go and then build the next apps, the next mm. problems that we need solving and that our clients need solving. And that's one of the great things about mid-market um, you know, SaaS applications as opposed to enterprise software. You don't really see it happens every so often but you don't really see talent coming out of a, a large enterprise play and go right what i'm going to do next week is i want to start up a new uh, a new product that meets the the unmet demand you, you just don't see that happening but you see it a lot happen in this very lively very almost regenerative nature of exits for these businesses who are coming out of solving a problem they think they've done it well half of them they want to go and do it again so they're looking for the next problem that's got to be good for all of us i think yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, I suppose on my, on my flip side of that, I suppose if you're a, if you're a QuickBooks user, if you're a, an accountancy firm that's focused in on QuickBooks in particular, you know, these acquisitions that Intuit are doing and, and then rebadging those products, bringing them all under one umbrella. I mean, that's going to be great for you, isn't it? Because it then means, you know, we talk a lot about app overwhelm in the market and it's really challenging to get across what are the best products well if, if Intuit is saying well here's a you know here's a stock management system here's a here's an e-commerce e e system that's just sitting under one umbrella just it's plug and play it all works it, it's it's connected simple easy you don't have to spend you know the hours that people like Ryan and myself will do you know rece researching the market looking at what the best potential products out there because you've got one you're right there on your doorstep and and you maybe only need to look outside that that product range if you're looking for something really niche or really specific um so i mean it, it's interesting your, your comments on on unleashed and how you kind of you know maybe shaped a little bit of what's going on with, within access and i suppose um you know my my other question would be you know what are the opportunities now for unleashed and for access going forward in terms of your know, product product development integration um market yeah well i mean the, the reality is that that access is a much bigger business 
and uh, its access to resources and um, its reach. I, th I think I think reach has got to be a key part of it. That there are businesses um, out there for whom maybe it's too risky for them to ever consider looking at a mid-market SaaS app. Maybe for them that's just not the way uh, their business flows. Uh, but with the backing of access and behind it, they'll they'll take that that step forward and they'll go, yeah, okay, we'll we'll take a look at that now. You know that that crazy business coming out of New Zealand, you know that just you know that that's a bit too that's a bit too out there for us. But oh no, access, we know that brand, we trust that brand, we we know that they're UK based and they're not going anywhere. So it could give them access, no pun intended, but access to more uh, innovation that that in the past they might not have seen that they could get a hold of. And I, and I think that is a really important piece of of that acquisition puzzle is that sometimes a small business can take something forward in a way that a big business just can't get themselves organized to to do so and and i think if you get the marriage of the two together then you know it is that cliche of one plus one equals three in that uh, we can innovate real quick and unleashed and we can bring things to market quite quickly and then we can kind of lean into all of the capabilities that access has got around you know uh, the level of 24 7 support they can offer uh, localized people the localized networks and and even expansion into, into Europe and things like that should access choose to do it they've got much more resources than you know unleashed couldn't do that as easily by themselves um, what I would say, though, just to reassure, and I can say this because we're, we're talking to UK folk, is Access is heavily committed to focusing in this part of the world, and to a certain degree, as you would have seen with the acquisition of, of say, a, you know, an Unleashed competitor like Sin7, uh, it, their focus is definitely on North America, and will we see further consolidation? I don't know, or will we get to a point where there's best in breed apps, and then there's best in breed apps with a geographic overlay, which is if you're customer focused, can you be everything to everyone? Or do you need to kind of accept that some you are going to play better in some markets and you're not going to be, um, you can't be both a best in breed app and act nimbly and quickly and bring product innovation to market and also have a global, uh, you know, customer base because, you know, those, can you do both things? Mm. That would be quite tough. Okay, so to, to bring this to a, to a close and just to sort of summarize, um, you know, clearly, you know, lots of opportunity for the Unleashed team now that Access have, have acquired the app, uh, and equally, hopefully, lots of opportunity for Access to, to take some of the, the great technology that the Unleashed team had there. In the last pod of the Indie, you made reference to an in-joke that only we, I, uh, we will know. I want an army of children, Lisa. And mm. if I was a millionaire, that's what I would do. Hold on to that thought and have another one and then just revisit it. You've got to think about efficiency on um, long-haul international flights. Stick to coastal holidays, though. Yeah, like staycation driving only, get a big car or a minibus. I mean, you yeah. don't look to me like a minibus driver. I, I could be wrong. Brilliant. And now into our of interest section, which is about more general stuff in the uh, cloud and digital world. Um, John, have you got something you want to bring to the table? Uh, yeah, so uh, Gartner had a recent set of uh, results and information regarding to their forecast on spend in the cloud market, and they were talking about the fact that um, cloud spend in general is up 8.6% from the 2020. Um, obviously, you know, we're part way through the year at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see how that how that ends in, in 2021. But you know, I think that probably reflects our experience of 
businesses wanting to transition you know continue that transition out of out of your know, old server-based desktop systems to cloud-based systems you know and really you know the catalyst for that is obviously covid you know, work from home and all that kind of jazz so um you know it's fascinating to see i think they predicted um, an 18 percent growth uh yeah. so it's a little way behind so um you know it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for the rest of the year but that definitely reflects i think my experience is that certainly businesses that did a lot last year have sort of just eased off on the accelerator and just taking a bit of time to, to reassess yeah. the, the, the decisions it made i completely agree i, I think this like this long lag um from covid has actually um seen businesses kind of hold fire a bit and it's the ones that probably will want to do some investment um are kind of just holding back a little bit for now that's definitely what we've experienced um in in our team and so i think 18 percent is still possible um it could boom towards the end of the year but I think the key thing is that we're going to continue to see growth. Um, this is a big area. And um, I think generally across the entire board, we're going to see anything relating to, to cloud technology grow. Um, so on, on that note, in the, you had some insights in you for the Xero picked up. Yeah, so the Xero did uh, a report across 500 practitioners and it was um, some key insights from accounting and bookkeeping industry kind of professionals. Um, and on that, they, they the of the the ones that responded, it was a similar story. You know, the, the ones that had adopted cloud 100% were seeing uh, pre, like pre-pandemic growth, stronger growth. So 17% were seeing um, stronger growth than they had pre-pandemic um, previous period. And I think that it also goes to show because um, there was 30% that were looking for, and I think this is a common problem just from some of the conversations I've had this week, 30% that are still now recruiting, growing, looking for more talent to work in their practices. Um, so actually not going backwards, provided that they're kind of 100% cloud. Um, and I guess, I guess that tallies with the fact that it's zero. Uh, but I, yeah, all round, it looked like, the, you know, profitability per client had also increased over that time, going from like what was like near 1300 to around 1600. Um, per client so I thought like, you know, it was good news um, in the key insights report but they also had a benchmarking tool which I thought was super interesting for most accountants who you know if you're looking yeah. and considering what you need to benchmark yourself against at the size that you are yeah I, I think that's right I, I did it I mean I wanted to see where our firm was kind of benchmarked against this and um, I think the key a key thing I picked out is that if yeah as you, as you kind of allude to if you are 75% or greater in the amount of cloud clients that you have, that's where you see the biggest growth. So the more cloud you are, the bigger growth you see. Um, and I mean, that's that's probably, as you allude to as well, because it's a zero report. Who knows that if, if, they're, if they're not dealing with zero, they may not have been selected in this. So it may be that the, the, um, the entire data set's kind of biased. Um, but no, the key thing is that you know, generally the, the, the increase in, um, the more cloud clients you have, the more growth you had. And that's year on year. This, this I remember, was a year before and the same year before that. They keep doing these reports. And generally, the more cloud clients you adopt, the bigger and faster you grow. Um, something that uh, I picked up on um, was that QuickBooks, or Intuit, sorry, released their um, financial highlights for uh, last, uh, last year. So um, 21 uh yeah fourth quarter fifth, full fiscal year to, to the end of 2021 july and um they have a total revenue now of 2.6 billion which is up 41 percent 
41% on the prior year. Now that is insane growth. Now obviously this is this is global they're looking at. This is these are huge figures. So um the 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 thing from our perspective, I guess in the UK, is that Intuit is huge in America. Um and they you know, that's by far their biggest space. I don't have the figures in the UK. I'm gonna have to do some some digging into that to see how that's moved in that on the UK perspective. Um, but I think you know, 41% growth, that must be buoyed by what's gone on in um, with COVID and everyone trying to do cloud adoption. I don't know, John, what do you, what do you think of that? Do you think that that will be matched, if not passed, by zero? I would imagine that they're seeing you know, reasonable growth as well. Um, I, I think also bear in mind that, as you say, Intuit's very much you know, got a huge focus in the US. And uh, I know, you know, when you look at uh, the Sage numbers, for example, that they had probably underperformed against what they expected in terms of moving, do, do, you know, this challenging move of getting clients that are on their old legacy products off those desktop systems onto their SaaS products. You know, I think Intuit are, are ahead of the game on that in terms of, you know, their move from old desktop to, to SaaS. Um, and I think that's probably reflected in the numbers. Certainly, you know, I go back to, to Sage's numbers when they released them, you know, probably about six months or so ago, and they were a little bit disappointing, you know, compared to market expectations. Yeah, no, definitely, um, definitely resonate there. Cool. Well, that think, brings us to um, a close of another show. Thank you for listening. I think it's been enthralling. I've got to admit, for most of that, that um, chat, John and Lisa, I just sat there in awe of... Um, everything you were discussing uh, so so thanks if you enjoyed the show please 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 uh, subscribe to us um, on the normal podcast channels please leave us a, a review if you do we'll look to read that out wherever possible because you know they they help us um, and give us the feedback so we can improve what we're doing if people want to get in contact with me please uh, follow me on linkedin send me a message uh, it's the best way to uh, getting hold of me john how do people get hold of you uh, yeah, same as you, Ryan. Grab hold of me on, on LinkedIn. I've got a crazy name, so it's easy to find me. Um, or if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's John underscore two. Go on, Indy. Yeah, Indy Tatler on LinkedIn and at Indivir on Twitter. Brilliant. And Lisa, thank you again for coming on the show. And if people want to find out more about yourself, reach out to you or about the products you're working with, how do they get in contact? Uh, I'm sounding a bit like you guys, but it's definitely LinkedIn for me. You'll find me there, and uh, LMH um, is is definitely what I'm known as sometimes. So if you see Lisa, that's probably me, but LMH is definitely me too. Cool. Well, thanks all, and please um, look for us on all the socials. Follow us, tweet us, send us messages on LinkedIn, and join us for the next show. Thanks again. Bye.